welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their filmic adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And this is not your regularly scheduled program, Brenna. We are doing another forecast episode. We are, because as we talked about in our January forecast episode, there is too much stuff to only do one forecast episode a year. (laughs) So now that we're in June, we thought we'd do a mid-year forecast looking at what's coming out. I was going to say in the back half of the year, but I feel like we both mm-hmm. found a whole bunch of stuff for the summer and yep. got too excited about that. And now <laughs> it's not really a back half of the year kind of thing. The lists are too long. They are too darn long. They are really long and there's so much really good stuff. And like, I'm excited about the diversity of just content on our lists. Like, mm-hmm. it's pretty exciting. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Especially when you factor in the fact that neither one of us are doing series and there's so much ongoing continuous series in YA so I know it's true there's just a plethora out there and it's really interesting to think about putting together lists like this and how like I think the latest title we have is September (laughs) because (laughs) we found so much good stuff versus all the conversations about how like YA is dying and it's not making any money and blah 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 like there seems to be two very different messages going on here Yeah, which I feel like this is just going to be an ongoing conversation that we have to continue having, Mm -hmm. particularly for our purposes as the film adaptations of these keep rolling out. And I'm, I'm actually a little bit sad to say that in my forecast, I don't have any adaptations coming up that I'm truly excited for because there's nothing coming out this summer Everything is really being shoehorned into the end of the year, and that even includes television. Yeah, it's true. I've got one that I'm excited about to talk about in my honorable mention section, and the reason it's in my honorable mention section is because the release date seems to have disappeared, so I'm worried it's not even going to make it out in 2019. Yeah. Okay, well, with that in mind, do you want to kick things off with your first title? I do. Okay, so um, my first title is called The Virtue of Sin by Shannon Shuren. Okay. I I love the title, and I think you're going to really dig this description. So it's being pitched as a YA Handmaid's Tale. Oh, dear. I know, right? That terrifies me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's coming out in June, and I'm just going to read you the synopsis, and then it's um, a novel about speaking out, standing up, and breaking free. That's the tagline. Miriam lives in New Jerusalem, a haven in the desert far away from the sins and depravity of the outside world. Within the gates of New Jerusalem and under the eye of its founder and leader, Daniel, Miriam knows she is safe, cared for. Even if she's forced, as a girl, to quiet her tongue when she has thoughts she wants to share, Miriam knows that New Jerusalem is a far better life than any alternative. So when God calls for matrimony, she's thrilled. She knows that Caleb, the boy she loves, will choose her to be his wife and they can finally start their life together. But when the ceremony goes wrong and Miriam winds up with someone else, she can no longer keep quiet. For the first time, Miriam begins to question not only the rules that Daniel has set in place, but also what it is she believes in and where she truly belongs. Alongside unexpected allies, Miriam fights to learn and challenge the truth behind the only way of life she's ever known, even if it means straying from the path of righteousness. Doesn't that sound awesome? If you could have seen my face (laughs) at the beginning of that description... I was not a happy person, Brenna. (laughs) I don't like hearing about teens getting married. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair, fair. But I think it's a really interesting, it sounds like it's going to have a lot to say about virtue and femininity. And I think Mm -hmm. it's going to have a lot to say, it sounds like about reproductive 
justice and reproductive freedom and religious ideology and control. So these are all things I enjoy reading about. And I like cult It's just stories. a shame that we have to live through them in this current timeline. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed a lot of the comments on Goodreads are like, I'm excited for this book, but also um, I don't want to read it until there's a new president in office, which I get. Yeah. I, I reread The Handmaid's Tale shortly after the inauguration, and it was a lot. But anyway, I'm excited for it. I think in the sort of excitement of Handmaid's Tale, I guess season two is coming out next year no, as season well. Season three. Season three, right? So there's a whole bunch of like this conversation culturally. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting, I think, to see it as a YA title like what happens when you fold in this notion of coming of age into this sort of patriarchal control Mm -hmm. we'll see and it makes perfect sense i mean any stories that you hear about cults any of these dystopian ya where teens are not being told the full story and there's some kind of authoritarian regime you know we've seen these stories play out so to fold in some of the contemporary uh, pain points around reproductive rights and female sexuality i I think that sounds like a slam dunk in yes. every terrible sense. <laughs> yes. And um, I'm expecting it's sort of, it's a walled off New Jerusalem in the desert. So I'm expecting there's going to be some breaking free. There's going to be some questioning narratives you've been told. There's going to be some finding yourself outside of the conventions of the religion you've been raised in. Like these are all catnip for me. So I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm intrigued <laughs> by the the name of the town as well, New Jerusalem, because that obviously also has its share of connotations or real world implications. Totally, totally. So yep, that's my first pick, The Virtue of Sin by Shannon Shuren, coming out in June. Okay. I also have a first pick coming out in June. I ended up just picking one Per month, uh, and that was very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> so mine is considerably lighter. It is called Ordinary Girls by Blair Thurnberg. There we go. Ordinary Girls by Blair <laughs> Thurnberg. And of course, Goodreads is good for giving you catchy little things that say, you know, it's appropriate for X person. So this is being sold as being for fans of Jenny Han. So. Oh, and we are fans of Jenny Han. We are, yeah. So this <laughs> is a contemporary retelling of Sense and Sensibility about two sisters, Plum oh, and Ginny. Excited. Here's the logline. For two sisters as different as Plum and Ginny, getting on each other's nerves is par for the course. But when the family's finances hit a snag, sending chaos through the house in a way only characters from a Jane Austen novel could understand, <laughs> the two drift apart like they never have before. Plum, a self-described social outcast, strikes up a secret friendship with the class jock, while Ginny's usual high-strung nature escalates to pure hysterics. But this has always been the sister's dynamic, so why does everything feel different this year? Maybe because Ginny is going to leave for college soon. Maybe because Plum finally has something that she doesn't have to share with her self-involved older sister. Or maybe because the girls are forced to examine who they really are instead of who their late father said they were. And who each girl discovers beneath the years of missing their dad could either bring them closer together or drive them further apart. Ah, I'm excited. I know. I mean, I don't think it's reinventing the wheel, but it sounds like it could be the one that hits you with all the family feels. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know I'm a sucker for a Jane Austen rewrite any day of the week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know anything more about that, except for the fact that it was the Sense and Sensibility retelling that caught my eye. I'm always interested when people 
use an established property as a launching pad and then tell their own story by using some of that familiarity. Well, it's interesting too, because Sense and Sensibility does not tend to get the same kind of rewrite attention as, say, a Pride and Prejudice. So of course not. That's kind of exciting too. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that there's barely even a mention of a boy in that as well. You know, (laughs) the suggestion being that I think one of them will end up with the jock character. But Sense and Sensibility is really about the sisterly relationship, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is, I mean, I'm not a Jane expert, a Jane Austen expert by any stretch of the imagination. But I know that family was always a driving influence in her writing. But it seems like people prefer to focus on the Darcy romance angle. Yeah, I'm definitely thrilled to see them selling it as a sister story. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. we've talked about this before, but like YA is strongly populated by only children. Um, So it's always exciting to read a sibling story anyway. This is true. Mm -hmm. So that's my second pick. Sorry, first pick. It's Ordinary Girls by Blair Thurnberg. Okay, so my number two is a bit different for the podcast, actually. And I have a similar example in my honorable mentions as well. But I'm actually, I found some nonfiction coming out for young people. What? I know, and we don't normally talk about nonfiction for young people because that would be a weird adaptation. Mm. But I thought it would be worth talking about because... This book features a, I don't know, quote unquote, friend of the show, someone who we have raised before. So the book is called An Indigenous People's History of the United States for Young People. (laughs) And it's it's an adaptation of an existing text. So An Indigenous People's History of the United States by Roxanne Dunbar-Oritz is like, it's an adult nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the title sounded very familiar. Yeah, it's been around, I think couple of years anyway, for sure. And it's become a really important touchstone in a lot of the debates in the US around indigenous sovereignty and, you know, things like pipeline protests, this kind of stuff. Right. Okay. But this book, which is coming out in July, is an adaptation by Jean Mendoza and Debbie Reese, who have adapted it for a younger audience. Right. And you've mentioned Debbie Reese a bunch of times. Yeah, exactly. So just as a reminder, although I think she came up very recently in our Paper Towns podcast. Yes. Debbie Reese has a blog about representations of children, of indigenous children in children's literature or representations of indigeneity, I guess, in children's literature, mm-hmm. where she does very comprehensive reviews of books. So she, what she's done is she and Jean Mendoza have taken this Indigenous People's History of the United States and adapted it for young audiences. So they've taken what is really a dense academic text and adapted it so that both middle grade and young adult readers can use it. They've included kind of discussion topics, archival images, maps, recommendations for further reading. So the idea is that it could be both a book for the classroom, but also just for young people who have an interest in these issues. And it's basically a sort of 400-year examination of how settler colonialism and policies of, I mean, genocide, policies of genocide have shaped the American identity. So yeah, I'm excited about it because we don't see a lot of really high-quality nonfiction for young people. And these issues about indigeneity, reconciliation, settler colonialism, like they're not going to get less relevant for this age group. So I think it's exciting to see it and to see it a text that's been done with such attention and care by the looks of it. I'm really excited for when it comes out in July. Hmm. 
Okay. It's worth noting alongside this that um, the same publisher, it's Penguin Random House, they have also adapted A Queer History of the United States by Michael Bronsky. They've done an adaptation of that for young readers as well. And so I think it's interesting to see young people being offered re-examinations of history that are very critical compared to what they're probably getting in the school system itself. Mm -hmm. So the Queer History of the United States goes back, again, 400 years and looks at how heterosexist ideology has shaped the experience of being American and what that means for queer citizens. Wow. Yeah. Heavy stuff. Well, I was going to say, neither of these are particularly light. But in both cases, what we're seeing is a publishing house taking like really serious, heavy, complex academic texts and saying like, no, you know what? Actually, young people can handle this material if it's presented in a way that they can read. And so what's interesting about Queer History of the United States, for example, is that it uses a lot of narratives, letters, poems to connect the thematic content. Mm with young people. So anyway, Indigenous People's History of the United States for young people, Queer History of the United States for young people. I think they would both make really good texts for young people who are interested in challenging the narratives that they're being given in school, which is, I think, always a great thing. So, yep. Let's build a generation of teens who are not just going to take what they're being told and just accept it, right? Absolutely. And you know, we're in a political moment that if if any political moment is going to foster that kind of critical engagement, is that the bright side of what we're living through right now? Maybe, she said, I, hopefully. I love the optimism. <laughs> uh, we're all going to die. Anyway, what's your pick number two, Joe? <laughs> uh, well, mine is um, sort of on that wavelength. It's a little bit of a darker text. It's back into the fiction realm. It's a book called Destroy All Monsters by Sam J. Miller. I like the title. Have you heard of this guy? I have not at all. Tell me more. Part of the reason that I picked him instead of another text that I'll get to in my honorable mentions is that he is an award winner for his first book, The Art of Starving. And that one won NPR Best Book and also the Andre Norton Award for Best Young Adult Novel back in 2017. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So this is his new one. And I'll give you the logline. So it's Solomon and Ash both experienced a traumatic event when they were 12. Ash lost all memory of the event when she fell from Solomon's treehouse. Since then, Solomon has retreated further and further into a world he seems to have created in in his own mind. One that insulates him from reality, but crawls with foes and monsters in both animal and human form. As Solomon slips further into the place he calls Darkside, Ash realizes her only chance to free her best friend from his pain is to recall exactly what happened that day in his backyard and face the truth together. If you're an adult, you can probably read between the lines that this is doing that young adult strategy of using fantastical dark elements as a entry point into very real emotional and physical trauma you know you see it in stuff like when a monster calls and we're going to see it in a couple of weeks with a another title that i'm not going to mention because of course keep things secret (laughs) (laughs) but i don't know i'm intrigued by it i'm 
always interested to see how authors handle truly dark things like mm-hmm. abuse, like trauma. So I'm interested to see how this blends that fantasy element with the very real world thing that certain children have to go through. Yeah, it sounds really uh, I mean, intriguing is the first word that pops to mind, as cliched as it is. It sounds really intriguing. I'm very curious about it. Do you know anything about the art of starving? I feel like I should have heard about it and apparently didn't. Yeah. Um, so the Wick description here says, Matt hasn't eaten in days. His stomach stabs and twists inside, but Matt won't give in because Matt has discovered something. The hungrier he gets, the more he seems to have powers. The ability to see and hear things he shouldn't be able to. Maybe even the authority to bend time and space. Matt will use these powers to find out just how Tarek and his band of high school bullies drove his sister, Maya, away. All he needs to do is keep the hunger and longing at bay, worm his way into Tarek's life, find out the truth. No problem. But Matt doesn't realize there are many kinds of hunger, and he isn't in control of all of them. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. That one, to be honest, gives me a bit more pause. If I didn't know that it was an award winner, I might even dismiss it outright because mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of people self-harming. To give them powers? No, yeah. that's upsetting. We're I in like the mark talk- territory right now. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that it has won multiple awards makes me think it must be handled in a way that we should be paying attention to Sam J. Miller because clearly he's doing something that's really connecting with people. Yeah, I'm definitely, my interest is definitely peaked, for sure. Mm-hmm. Huh, okay. So that's my second pick, Destroy All Monsters by Sam J. Miller, and it's out in July. Okay, cool. I'm jumping ahead a little bit in time to September. Wow. <gasps> what? So far away. <laughs> with a book called Frankly in Love by David Yoon. That author sounds familiar. Yeah, I, okay, so I think that this is a debut. Okay. I think we are perhaps... Related to Nicola? No, (laughs) they're not related. But unfortunately, Goodreads doesn't realize that and has given David Yoon credit for everything, everything. (laughs) Good work, team. Yay. Yay. So, uh, no, they are not related. But I think that's why we think we've heard of him. Because I did quite a bit of time digging and I'm pretty sure this is his debut. Okay. Which is amazing because the movie rights have already been sold. Oh, wow. Which, yeah, rare for a debut author, especially when the book is not even out yet. So, yeah. Okay. Tell me about it. Yeah, I'll read you the synopsis. High school senior Frank Lee is a limbo, his term for Korean-American kids who find themselves caught between their parents' traditional expectations and their own Southern California upbringing. His parents have one rule when it comes to romance, date Korean, which proves complicated when Frank falls for Brit Means, who is smart, beautiful, and white. Fellow limbo Joy Song is in a similar predicament, and so they make a pact. They'll pretend to date each other in order to gain their freedom. (laughs) Frank thinks it's the perfect plan, but in the end, Frank and Joy's fake dating maneuver leaves him wondering if he ever really understood love, or himself, at all. Aww. Yeah. That sounds super adorable. It sounds super adorable. It sounds like it's, you know, retreading some pretty common YA ground. Mm -hmm. But I pulled this for two reasons. One, it's uh, nice to see a YA romance that's dealing explicitly with racial identity, issues of, you know, community and, and what that means. And it's a male protagonist romantic comedy written by a dude so Mm -hmm. um which we've been talking about sort of the problems and pitfalls of that genre so far i'm excited to see a book that maybe looks like it's gonna get it a little bit more right maybe maybe fingers crossed 
And the movie rights are already sold, so we're probably going to be seeing that adaptation coming pretty soon. Yeah. Again, I I love the idea of just heartwarming romances, particularly when they have something that we're not used to hearing. Like, I think one of the reasons you and I both gravitated to All the Boys I Loved Before is because it had all those familiar moments, but just the element of having a non-Caucasian protagonist mm-hmm. can be so revelatory in just opening things up. I'm I'm all in. Definitely. And, okay, so I just learned something. This is breaking news right on the podcast. <laughs> David Yoon is Nicola Yoon's husband. Oh. Yep. Okay. Yep, 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 yep. So, so they're not related, but they are connected. I hope they are not related because <laughs> they are definitely married. Wow. This became a very different podcast for a couple seconds there, didn't it? <laughs> What's nice to see is that uh, if you look at the Goodreads reviews from people who have received advanced reading advanced copies, copies. Yeah. they are like across the board, delighted, excited. A lot of people posting like, I never thought I'd read a book that was so much like my own personal life. Yes. A lot of people saying the wit here is very much like John Green, but the characters are more like rounded and whole. So thank goodness. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be, it sounds like it's going to be a winner. I'm really excited about it. And I'm glad I saved it till last because I think you're excited about it too. I am. Yeah. So that's Frankly in Love by David Yoon, apparently husband to Nicola Yoon. And September. (laughs) It's September. Okay. My third pick is also September. So apparently August is a dry month. See ya, August. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) So my third pick is called Full Disclosure by Cameron Garrett, also out in September. So here's the back. It's a little bit lengthy, so bear with me. Okay. Simone Garcia Hampton is starting over at a new school, and this time things will be different. She's making real friends, making a name for herself as student director of Rent, and yes. making a play for Miles, the guy who makes her melt every time he walks into a room. The last thing she wants is for word to get out that she's HIV positive, because last time, well, last time things got ugly. Oh. Keeping her viral load under control is easy, but keeping her diagnosis under wraps is not so simple. As Simone and Miles start going out for real, shy kisses escalating into much more, she feels an uneasiness that goes beyond butterflies. She knows that she has to tell him she's positive, especially if sex is a possibility, but she's terrified of how he'll react. And then she finds an anonymous note in her locker. I know you have HIV. You have until Thanksgiving to stop hanging out with Miles, or everyone else will know too. Simone's first instinct is to protect her secret at all costs, but as she gains a deeper understanding of the prejudice and fear in her community, she begins to wonder if the only way to rise above it is to face the haters head on. Oh my god, that sounds so good! I know! So obviously the reason that I picked this is because I literally could not think of any YA text that has dealt with HIV. And this is maybe just me being a novice, but... No, I can't think of one. Not Certainly not off the top of my head. I would have to dig pretty hard. One of the other things that I find attractive about it is even just the description of it sounds very approachable, very warm. Mm-hmm. This is not about having HIV AIDS and dying. No. This is about having a secret and feeling like it keeps you apart from other people and wanting to protect that so that you can still feel like you fit in. It's interesting too, because one of the things you hear a lot from people who live with HIV or who live with AIDS is that like, 
you can manage HIV, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are lots of people living with HIV and yes. like keeping their viral load at basically zero and basically existing normally, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And yet they do. They have to live with this secret because of the massive stigma around the idea of HIV and the fact that like, God, we're like 30 years on yes. from the Degrassi episode where they talk about how you can't get AIDS from shaking someone's hand, right? Mm-hmm. And yet the stigma around HIV, around people living with AIDS is massive. Yes. So it's nice to see a story that is in many ways sounds like a pretty like typical breezy romance with a twist mm-hmm. as opposed to a issue-oriented text about HIV. That's exciting. Actually, it's really exciting. Yeah, so it seems familiar and yet completely on the cusp of something new and exciting. And I don't know. I mean, I hope that it lives up to what this description sounds like, because I think it sounds really good. Yeah, that uh, I'm genuinely excited for that one. Like, I'm, I'm putting it on my hold list as we speak. <laughs> yeah, so that's Full Disclosure by Cameron Garrett, and it's out in September. Cool. That actually ties in really nicely with one of my honorable mentions. Ooh, it's yeah. like we planned it, even though we really honestly did not. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in terms of full disclosure, Joe had his notes up like last week, and I added mine to our document last night. Mm-hmm. Anywho. Um, Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned when I was talking about an Indigenous people's history of the United States for young people that I had another nonfiction in my honorable mentions, and uh, that is Viral by Anne Bowsom. Yeah, okay. I think Viral by Ann Bowsom. And it's actually out this week. So it was an oh, honorable wow. mention. Yeah, I know. It was an honorable mention, one, because it's out this week. And two, because I already had nonfiction in my list. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is actually a history of AIDS and the AIDS crisis for young readers. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And one of the things we've talked about a few times, I think we talked about this when we talked about Love, Simon, is that there's a certain amount of a historicity in YA, which yes. is to say, it's great that Love, Simon is the kind of happy, breezy romance that it is. But you could read that book and have no idea why some people don't want to come out of the closet, right? Yeah. And like, yeah. the history of oppression doesn't get talked about a lot for young audiences. And mm-hmm. so I was excited to see Viral by Anne Balsam, which looks very deeply at the AIDS crisis, how it was mishandled but also how HIV stopped being a death sentence. And so uh, the synopsis for this is it's a groundbreaking narrative nonfiction for teens that tells the story of the AIDS crisis in America. 35 years ago, it was a modern day mysterious plague. Its earliest victims were mostly gay men, some of the most marginalized people in the country. At its peak in America, it killed tens of thousands of people. The losses were staggering, the science frightening, and the government's inaction unforgivable. The AIDS crisis fundamentally changed the fabric of the United States. Viral presents the history of the AIDS crisis through the lens of the brave victims and activists who demanded action and literally fought for their lives. This compassionate but unflinching text explores everything from the disease's origins and how it spread to the activism it inspired and how the world confronts HIV and AIDS today. Mm. It sounds, and it is obviously going to be super dark. (laughs) I've also... But it's got the activism angle and it, it sounds like it's a coming out of the darkness. Yes, I read a lot of reviews saying that readers found it to be a profoundly hopeful book, um, talking about this notion of how HIV AIDS activists, people who are coming from the most marginalized communities in the US were able to 
change policy and able to raise research money and able to basically change the world, you know, mm-hmm. and, and change the way this disease is experienced and hopefully en route to changing the way this disease is perceived. So I think Viral is the kind of book that can really help young people understand history and also understand their own power. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited about it. And it ties obviously really nicely into your third choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, you may not have it pulled up, but do you know how long that book is? Yeah, it's surprisingly very short. It's only 176 pages. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds to me from the reviews that I've read, it's really focusing on the high points, right? It's not like, okay. for all its problems, it's not the and the band plays on for young people or anything. It's like, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like looking at a particular... Uh, a particular narrative of the AIDS crisis, which is to say, this is how activism can help us overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in fact, the cover is like black and white photograph from one of the most famous protests, the one where people are holding up signs with numbers on them. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about on the show about my desire to see more innovative content for young audiences. And I think this is an example a narrative nonfiction written for young people to confront kind of lack of historical record and lack of historical knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Viral, The Fight for the fight Against AIDS in America by Anne Bowsom, and it's out. In fact, it is out today. Okay. Like in real time when people are listening to this. Nice. Yeah. I did not try to go very adventurous, so the three that I have on my honorable mentions are variations of things that I'm just interested in. So the first one is Slay by Brittany Morris, and oh, I, I should apologize. All of these honorable mentions are from August, so August, you're back. We appreciate Yay, you. August. Welcome home. <laughs> okay, so Slay is Ready Player One meets The Hate You Give in this dynamite debut novel that follows a fierce teen game developer as she battles a real-life troll intent on ruining the Black Panther-inspired video game she created and the safe community it represents for Black gamers. Oh. Yeah, I'm marginally apprehensive about the fact that it just seems to be using buzzy titles from the last couple of years as its description. Yeah, always a little anxiety producing. But that to me maybe reads a bit more as the publisher saying, hey, let's use word salad for a bunch of accessible (laughs) text to try to sell this book. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Because it is a debut novel, so I think they're leaning into what can we say that will help people to understand because we can't sell it on this author because uh, she is not well known yet. Right. But I like the idea of black video gamers and women because that is not something that gets talked about even though it is 100% a population of people that exists and is vocal and is out there. But I think it gets talked down to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, fully agree. I think that's a really interesting kind of twist. It's weird to see... Ready Player One, which is quite a white and conservative take on nerd culture, mm-hmm. up against something like The Hate You Give, which is, I mean, the diversity of sort of experiences of blackness in The Hate You Give is something we talked about. So yeah, yeah it's probably a publisher as opposed to like what the author was actually aiming towards. Yeah, I think in this case, it's an interactive, possibly virtual reality game, which is why they're referencing Ready Player One. But right, right, right. I was like, those two things should not be put side by side. <laughs> That does a great disservice to the hate you give. And one day when we have to talk about Ready Player One, we will explain why. Yes. Yes, we will. Anyway, anyway, so yeah, so that's my honorable mention number one, Slay by Brittany Morris. It's out in August. Okay, cool. 
I have no idea when my next honorable mention is going to come out. Possibly never. <laughs> um, but I wanted to mention it anyway because I think it sounds really good and there's some interesting people attached to it. Okay. And because filming has completed on it, but it's been in post-production for a scarily long time. Oh, dear. Okay. Because yeah, yeah. I was going to say, well, if they've got people attached to it and they just haven't gone before the camera, then that's a good thing. But if they finish filming and it still hasn't come out, it could get lost in the shuffle somewhere. Yeah, I know. I know. So anyway, the tag for it is... So, oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't give you the title. No. <laughs> it's Words on Bathroom Walls is the title. Okay. The novel is by Julia Walton, and this is an adaptation of it. Principal photography began in May of 2018. So oh, I know. Okay. I know. So the the concept behind the book is it's about adam who's a teen navigating high school while living with paranoid schizophrenia and he's on this experimental drug trial which promises that it's going to put an end to his eccentric hallucinations and make it easier for him to hide his illness from his peers Mm -hmm. and for maya who is the love interest the girl he's fallen in love with at school so it's very much about obviously mental health it's obviously an example of our sick lit genre yeah It's about a protagonist trying desperately to hide a highly stigmatized illness, so not too far off from what you were talking about with your pick. And it's dealing with mental health, which is something that we need to see more of in media for YA. Mm -hmm. Charlie Plummer has been cast as the main character. I love him. Me too. Yeah, he's always really, really good. Yeah. Audiences might know him from Boardwalk Empire. He was in King Jack all the money in the world. Anyway, so he's been in a few things. Mm-hmm. The other names attached to the title are also like really great. Andy Garcia is mm. um, Father Patrick and Molly Parker is in it as well. Yes, Canadian. The Canadian. And I'm not sure who is playing the love interest. Um, and Devin Bostick is in it too. He plays this figure who keeps appearing in... The hallucinations? Yes. Yeah. So... It sounds like a great cast. The director I have never heard of before. He's somebody named Thor Frodenthal. Frodenthal? Have we heard Nothing of this person? off the top of my head. Yeah, no, I had never heard of him either. But apparently he was involved in the Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies, which obviously were very successful. Yeah. It's a little young for this podcast and also something I have no interest in looking at. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not saying we need to look at it. I'm just saying <laughs> he has been involved in something successful and he directed three episodes of The Expanse. Oh, okay. So... I think he's relatively new to feature films, and I wonder if that might be part of the reason we're not seeing it come forward, because to me, everything else about it sounds like it should have come together. Yeah, it may depend on who's making it, because as we've talked about before, the Disney acquisition of Fox has thrown a bunch of different projects into very weird timelines. So if it was being made by Fox or even Disney, it may have gotten lost in that shovel, or there's something going on behind the scenes. Ugh, interesting. Okay. Well, who knows what's going to happen, but fingers crossed we hear about it. I wanted to mention it today because it's the kind of title that I think could use audience support if and when it does appear, and I am going to pick up the novel now that I know about it. So that's uh, Words on Bathroom Walls, and yeah, who knows if it's ever going to come out, but the book's by Julia Walton. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I've got two more So this is another August pick. It's called Suggested Reading by Dave Connus. And the very brief logline is a student starts an underground library called Unlib after her principal begins censoring the reading list at her high school. 
Oh. Yeah. That sounds like something I would love. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like everything that we enjoy where it's teenagers <laughs> wrestling at the idea of being told what to do by adults who don't understand them. But I think there's a certain real life connection. We've talked a number of times about different books being censored for content mm-hmm often for completely ridiculous reasons that prove that the people who are doing these actions don't actually understand the content that they're trying to get banned. Mm -hmm. So I love this idea of students rebelling by starting their own library. Like, hello, teenagers after my own heart. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) That sounds great. Yeah. So that's suggested reading by Dave Connes, and it's out in August. Cool. My last honorable mention is a complete cheat. It's two books that actually came out in May that I just bought. I haven't read yet, but I wanted to highlight them because they're out right now. People can grab them and they're both by writers from underserved YA communities. Okay. So Birthday by Meredith Russo is the first of the two. And the second is There's Something About Sweetie by Sandhya Menon. Birthday is a trans love story. Oh. Yeah, and Meredith Russo's first novel, If I Was Your Girl. Right, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about it on the podcast before. And so this mm-hmm. is her, her newest text. Again, an own voices uh, romance about trans folk with a happy ending. Oh, That's how it was pitched goodness. to me. Thank I will take goodness. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And there's something about Sweetie by Santaya Menon is her third novel, Menon's third novel. Her first one was very splashy last summer when Dimple Met Rishi. Dimple Met Rishi was about two South Asian teens meeting at like a coding camp. So it was smart girls and teens of color and romance and lots of kissing. Totally was into it 100%. It was my airplane read of choice last summer. And so there's something about Sweetie it seems to be traversing the exact same ground. And, you know, I'll just say, I don't think there's anything wrong with that when a market is so desperately underserved. So Birthday by Meredith Russo and There's Something About Sweetie by Santaya Menon, I can guarantee you they're both going to be excellent reads. Uh, Delightful. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, I'm glad that we're ending on kind of uplifting, happy, fun-sounding ones Mm -hmm. because that fits the bill for my final one as well. And I may have lied off the top because this, I just realized, is the first in a forthcoming series of books. Oh. So you're going to laugh because this is so 100% my brand. (laughs) This is called The Babysitter's Coven, number one, by Kate Williams. It's out in August, and the description is Adventures in Babysitting meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer in this funny, action-packed novel about a coven of witchy babysitters who realize their calling is to protect the innocent and save the world from an onslaught of evil. Okay, that sounds amazing. Like, (laughs) hello, yes, I would like that. I'd like the whole series, and I'd like the Netflix adaptation today. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's very you. Yeah. So, The Babysitter's Coven, one by Kate Williams, and it's out in August. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's our forecast. Yeah. So I guess that takes us through to September. So we'll have to do this again <laughs> It would be great to know, actually. As y'all know, you can find us on the hashtag on Twitter, HKHSPod. It'd be great to let us know if these forecast episodes, if you find them helpful, if you'd like to see us do it as sort of a quarterly, if twice a year is enough for you. We'd love feedback on this because it's obviously a departure from our usual format. And if it's working for you or if it's not working for you, we want to know. And if you've got your own picks that you think we should be highlighting or paying attention to, 
You know we want those. Definitely. And I will say right out, we like to hear more forecast, not less. And particularly if you've heard about texts from diverse or underserved audiences, we want to hear about those for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, I definitely will retweet any suggestions we get so that more people can find them. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a couple more weeks of a regular airplane, and then we're going to be going on a sabbatical. So one of the other things we probably should have mentioned is we are going to be looking at updating the YA bingo card. If you are listening to episodes and you want to give us some ideas about new slots that we should be adding, please feel free to give us a ring on either the Twitter or the Gmail account with your suggestions on what you would like to see moving forward. Yeah, definitely. If you want us to be looking out for different tropes, tell us. We want to know. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Speaking of which, if you want to find us on the Twitters, where would they find you, Mr. Joe? I am at B Stole My Remote. That's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And as we mentioned, you can obviously get a hold of both of us using the hashtag HKHSPod. Or you can send us something longer. So if you've got like a whole reading list or a curriculum that you want us to pay attention to. We will take it. We will take it. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You can send us an email at HKHSPod at gmail.com. Definitely. So I guess our next episode... Yeah, so we've also got our homework report episode out this week, but if you Mm -hmm. choose to only listen to this because you don't feel like a catch-up, then we'll tell you that next week we are going to be looking at... (gasps) It ties in so well. We're going to be looking at Nicola Yoon's Everything Everything. Oh my god, not just books about kissing, but books by two different authors who are totally kissing. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. (laughs) That's why I'm in the YA. (laughs) (laughs) So we're looking forward to it. Everything, Everything by Nicola Yoon. Mm -hmm. And until then, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen.